early today. We're going to start. This is going to be an interesting attempt on my part. I hope I make it, but I have asked Valerie and the choir to uh, sing something that they'll sing a little bit later and that most of you have heard, some of you even hundreds and hundreds of times. Valerie? receiving communion. It's killing time. Well, you know I'm not telling you the truth. But you know, you can hear something so often and never grasp the full reality of that context of what is being said and done and sung at a given moment. When a church is 2,000 years old, believe me, nothing happens by accident anymore. It happens for a reason. It's been planned. It's, it's, it's understood. We don't do this because it's cute. We do it because there's a reason. Now, my sermon today, of course, is on the gospel and on the epistle. You say, come on, Father, you haven't sang that. You never do that. We almost never do any music like that in, in, in the Orthodox Church. We do in the homily sometimes. But what does it have to do with the gospel, and what does it have to do with the epistle? It has a whole lot to do with it. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, there's probably no one in this room who is more skeptical than I am. I just don't believe things very easily at all. But I just have trouble believing things. And I have trouble believing what the choir just sang. I have incredible difficulty believing that I receive the body of Jesus Christ and I taste the fountain of immortality. I have trouble believing that. I have trouble believing, even when I'm standing, you can't imagine how many Sundays I stand there and I say, make this bread the precious body of thy Christ and that which is in this cup the precious blood of thy Christ, changing them by thy Holy Spirit. And, and everybody's saying, amen, amen, and amen. And I'm saying, whoa, this is, do I believe this? Do I really believe this is happening? Well, I do, but I don't believe it without evidence. I'm too skeptical. What does it have to do with that gospel and epistle? First of all, the paralytic, the gospel. We'll take that one first. Here we have the gospel. Now, this is, a, this is an incredible story. I love this is one of, literally, you know, I say this often, but this really is one of my very, very favorite passages in the whole New Testament. One of my favorite stories in everything in the life of Jesus. Here they are on Solomon's portico, you know, in, in Jerusalem. And, I mean, it's a big deal. And, and, you know, they have this pool there. And in, in, in the ancient world, they had all kinds of these pools. They were very important. But 
And they're always sick people. I mean, lame, halt, and blind, and all. I mean, all these people were sitting around this pool. It's not like a swimming pool, for crying out loud. It's, you know, it's a pool. And uh, these people are around there. And, and uh, now, there, there are people who will not put this in, in their Bibles. They will not translate this passage even though there's great evidence for it, but they say it just couldn't happen. And so you will find Bibles that are well-received that do not have the passage in it, or they'll have a footnote and say, this is not in all the ancient manuscripts. The thing about the angel coming down and disturbing the water, and that the first person that got in got healed, whoa, do I have trouble with that one. Uh, am I ever a skeptic? Do I believe it happened? Yeah, I believe it probably did happen. I don't believe that got stuck in the text by accident. But here was it, this angel would come down and stir the, and this only happened occasionally and it was not predictable. You didn't know what was going to happen. And here was a man who had been there 38 years, 38 years, and he'd been trying to be the first to get down there when every time the angel disturbed the water and he never made it. Can you imagine someone being that persistent? And then Jesus comes on the scene, and here's a whole batch of people, and Jesus doesn't pay any attention to anyone but one person. You get griped sometimes, don't you, that all your prayers don't get answered, and that Jesus doesn't take care of you the way you think he should? Well, I wonder what the rest of those folks thought that day. Here's all these people around there. They're sick, they're lame, they're halt, they're blind. Who knows what maladies they have? And only one walks away healed by Jesus. Anyway, 38 years, Jesus looks at him and he says, Do you want to be healed? And the man says, Yes, but sir, I have no one to get me to the water. And he says, Jesus says, Take up your pallet and walk. Take your bed up and go. <laughs> now, I don't know what happened to the guy. I really don't. Maybe he felt something in his bones or something like that, but picks up his pallet and he walks away. Folks, when you've been lame and a paralytic for 38 years, you don't just jump up with your bed and go walking. But he did, okay? What does that have to do with receive the body of Jesus Christ and taste the fountain of immortality? Just hang on a little longer. Okay. Then we get to the epistle. Mr. Aeneas. What about Aeneas? Well, Aeneas is, uh, he needs to be healed. You heard the epistle read. And uh, Peter's there. The man is lame, and he needs to be healed. And I don't know how many other people were there that day, okay? I haven't the slightest idea. There may have been a great crowd. There may not have been many. But Peter looks at him, and he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, Folks, not many people had ever heard a statement like that in all the history of the world, anything close to it. Jesus Christ heals you and back. I mean, before the blink of an eye, Aeneas is healed. The paralytic at the pool, Aeneas. And then we have Dorcas, or Tabitha. Uh... What does San Diego mean, all you bright people? Saint what? Saint James doesn't sound much like it, does it? Diego, James, well, that's what it is. San Diego is Saint James. Well, in the story, Tabitha, and I don't know why it's in there, but it says, which being translated means Dorcas. 
Well, it's not very close, is it, going from one language to another? How they got Tabitha and Dorcas to be the same name, I don't know. But like James and Diego. Uh, but here's, here is uh, Tabitha, which means Dorcas, and the woman dies. And everybody is mourning. Oh, they're sad, and, and everybody's gathered together. And, you know, there are a lot of churches in America, do you know this, that have a society, a woman. You know what their women's group is called? It's called the Dorcas Society. I've been in churches where they have a Dorcas Society. Or what do they mean by that? Well, it's women who have, that, that make nice things, that do things for people, and because they brought out all the clothes and all the things that Dorcas had done, a little, almost like artifacts, but better than that, that Dorcas had made or Tabitha had made. And everybody was lamenting the death. You got that, didn't you? She's not paralyzed. She's dead. Now, the paralytic was paralyzed, and Aeneas was paralyzed, but Dorcas is dead. Okay? And uh, somebody gets the bright idea to call Peter. Now, I don't know where that idea came from, and I have no idea whose idea it was. But somebody says, let's call Peter. So they call him, Joppa. And uh, Peter comes, and there she's dead. And this is unbelievable. Did you hear what I just said? This is unbelievable. Peter says, Tabitha! Arise! And a dead woman got up just as alive as anyone in this room. What does that have to do, I think you already know, with receiving the body of Jesus Christ and taste the fountain of immortality? What, has, what does that have to do with the priest John and what he does when he stands there at the altar? There are even times when, the, particularly the paralytic at the pool, he's one of my favorite characters. I love the whole story. I know it virtually by heart from beginning to the end. I've preached on it hundreds of times in my life. I love it. And I'll stand there and I can say this. If he can heal the paralytic, or I'll say to myself, if Peter can say, Tabitha, arise, or Aeneas, Jesus Christ, heals you, then I can believe, I'm going to be a little crude now, that a hunk of bread and a glass of wine can become the body of Jesus Christ and the fountain of immortality. Folks, I don't know how many times I've never counted them. I don't even think I will count them. It take too much attention. How many times have we either said Christ is risen or how many times have we sung Christ is risen from the dead trampling down death by death? I mean just this year. How many times have we sung that? Well, what does that have to do with, you know, I, I was thinking about this as I was getting ready for today. You taste the fountain of immortality. We sing Christ is risen from the dead. For one reason, so many times, because it helps you understand that you're not receiving the blood of a dead man. What you are receiving is the fountain of immortality. What, what, what do you mean immortality? Well, death couldn't do anything to him. They had 
Death had him in their clutches. Hell was having a party that day. They thought they'd won. They thought they had gotten the Son of God dead as dead can be. And he just overcame it, just poof, like that. And he rose from the dead. He's immortal. He's the fountain of immortality. Now, to put all this together briefly, when the choir sings, and you can sing with them, by the way, they don't mind, receive the body of Jesus Christ, the fountain of immortality, it's not background music. It's not being sung to entertain you while this communion thing that takes so long is occurring. It is being sung to encourage your faith and your understanding of what you are doing. You are receiving the body of the risen Christ. You are tasting of the fountain of immortality. This is becoming a part of you, which is if I had an hour and a half to preach today, that's what I would have done with John chapter 5. I would have... I would have taken you because I believe that's what the whole thing is all about. And I think that's generally what the base, what most biblical scholars believe, that that whole thing is basically a Eucharistic passage, uh, that whole John 5 thing. But at any rate, what you are doing is you are receiving the body of Christ. You are tasting the fountain of immortality. You need to know what you are doing when you're receiving communion. And you say, well... They sing it over and over and over and over and over again. Sometimes we need to hear it over and over and over and over again, do we not? We need that constant encouragement, and it is what is happening. At the moment we are singing that, we are singing exactly what is occurring at that moment. So what are you supposed to do about it? The difference is I understand the difference between teaching and preaching is this. Teaching is taking, and especially from the point of view of the priest, teaching is to take what is in the scriptures and to teach them to you, to, to give you information, to teach you to, what happened and what the truths are. But what is preaching? Well, it's that plus something very special. Preaching involves asking you to believe something, asking you to make a decision, asking you to make a change. So what am I asking you today? Because what I'm obviously doing is preaching. What I am doing is asking you to consciously, in your mind and in your heart, in the understanding of your very guts, to believe this. If he could say to a paralytic, take up your bed and walk, then he does. If, he could, if Peter, his disciple, could say to Aeneas, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, and in a blink, he's healed. And if Peter could say to Dorcas, Tabitha, arise, and the woman is up alive after having been dead. If he can do that, then you have all the evidence you need to believe that you receive the body of Jesus Christ and that you taste the fountain of immortality. The Gospel of John ends up somewhat like this. 
And many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Do any of you know the rest of the passage? But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the believing you might have life through his name. That's what the purpose of the signs and wonders in the scriptures are all about. That you might believe. And what am I asking you to believe today? I'm asking you to believe that because of the signs and the wonders we read about in the gospel and in the epistle today, that today, as they sing, receive the body of Jesus Christ, taste the fountain of immortality, you'll believe it. The celebration today is not Mom's Day, though I like Mother's Day. The celebration isn't that. That's nice. Mother's Day is okay. But receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ and tasting the fountain of immortality, that is something else. Do you believe it? And will you, as they sing, will you say, oh, are they going to do it one more time? No. Say it yourself. Thank God that I can receive the body and blood of Christ.